Hey, this is Walter. Thanks for joining us again on Retire Smarter. Kevin Krosky will be along in just a moment for part two of the conversation with Dr. Michael Finca. Uh, if you missed the previous episode, please go back and check it out. Uh, Kevin and Michael chat about a whole wide range of key retirement issues, including the research that backs these things up, as well as current topics like life expectancy differences for average versus wealthy folks, what makes a retiree happy, and why Social Security is such a good deal. Uh, plus, they talked a lot about how inflation impacts retirees differently than workers. And on today's show, they're going to continue to kind of get into conversations about why the current market environment contains much bad news for retirees. And they'll cover a lot of other topics as well as they continue their conversation. So again, part one, go back and listen to the previous episode. Otherwise, get ready for part number two in the conversation between Kevin Krosky and Dr. Michael Finca. Early in our conversation, we talked about, or you mentioned at least briefly, um, you know, with interest rates being low and uh, arguably, you know, equity returns potentially being low for some time too. Um, I know one of the things I did prior to our call was just I just jumped on your Twitter profile and I noticed your your pinned tweet. And I'm not a big Twitter user, but um, but you know, I found it helpful, quite frankly, um, particularly preparing for our call today. But your pin tweet was about the Schiller PE. So, what's the Schiller PE, and why is it important? When you invest in stocks, um, you are buying a little slice of a company, and that that company can earn profits, uh, and those profits can either be paid back to you in the form of a dividend, or they can be reinvested in the company. But what happens over time is that we go through these periods like the last few years where stock prices as a multiple of profits go up. And what we've seen historically is that stock prices when they're high as a multiple of profits. Again, those profits can either be paid out in the form of dividends to you or they can be reinvested in the company. A great example of this is Let's say that you're thinking of buying a dry cleaner and the dry cleaner um, earns $100,000 of profits after all expenses every year. Well, historically, it would cost you about $1.6 million at the historical valuations of the stock market to buy $100,000 worth of profit. Today, it can cost about $3.7 million to buy $100,000 of profit every year from a company. Now, do you expect that over the next 20 years, if you pay $3.7 million for the dry cleaner, that your return on your investment is going to be the same as if you paid $1.6 million for that dry cleaner? Obviously not. The same phenomenon occurs in the stock market, that if you pay more for a stock as a multiple of its average 10-year earnings, that's the Schiller uh, cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio, then you can expect that your returns are going to be lower over the next decade. And in fact, since 1995, uh, over 90% of the 10-year in stocks can be explained by the price of stocks when you first invested in them. Um, so if you're investing when the PE ratio is 20 on average, you might get somewhere in the range of 8% returns over the next decade. 
But if you're investing when the P-E ratio is more like 35 or 40, then returns are probably going to be less than 5% over the next decade. So that's just on average, but we find that the distribution is relatively tight. There just simply aren't historical periods that look like today where investors over the next 10 years have gotten more than 5% returns on their stock investment. They don't exist. Um, so that means that you probably need to be a little bit more reserved about your expectations of the bonus that you're going to get for taking investment risk over the next decade. And it's probably going to be less that stock investors were able to achieve historically. The PE ratio is surprisingly predictive of long-term 10-year returns. So when you're making plans about how much you can safely spend in retirement, you have to adjust your expectations of the amount of returns that you can get from your investments downward. And that means you're probably gonna spend a little bit less than if you had been investing in a period where bond returns were higher and the expectation of stock returns were higher, or you're gonna to have to save more for retirement to get the same lifestyle. Uh, assets are just simply expensive today. And when assets are expensive, they don't generate much income for you. You know, the, um, I think this is one of those interesting conundrums about this, uh, this profession and, and these sorts of decisions. You know, if you get a, say, a, a, some sort of discount uh, coupon or something for your favorite restaurant, yeah, you, you know, you can see that, hey, you're getting a better value, you're getting a discounted price. But so often when it comes to, um, to stock markets or funds or stocks or, or any sort of investment, uh, it's often the reverse. There's like this weird behavioral thing where, hey, higher prices means, um, you know, higher returns uh, when, you know, the thing that's been causing some pain in your portfolio may maybe now is a better value is at a lower price. Those are the things that we often want to go ahead and shed and buy more of the higher price thing. So um, it's I'm never surprised by how much of a regular conversation this is, even amongst people with you know, that are really smart. I mean, we just because you're smart, I suppose, doesn't mean you have some of these behavioral biases, but all of these things from what you just shared um, and, and what I followed up with to, you know, deferring social security and getting over the hump of having to use your money and not, you know, quote unquote, the government's money and those sorts of things. Um, it really makes, you know, the the rational or the empirical application of, of planning and investing um, quite more difficult. It's, I, I guess, if I circle back to what you started with early on about your food consumption research, it's kind of like a knowing doing gap, right? You know, maybe we know what we should do, but um, actually doing it, behaviorally doing it, having the discipline in those things to do it is often something very, very different. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned with uh, the Schiller PE and, and spending and maybe having to adjust our spending down um, you hear about, you know, some of these rules. We talked about kind of a replacement rate. We talked about, you know, some other sorts of, of guideposts in terms of retirement and what have you. When it gets to retirement spending, I know there's been a lot of research you mentioned, you know, both I think in the HRS study as well as in the Chase data about how we're spending less as we age. So is it reasonable to think that, um, you know, being that we are having higher inflation right now and maybe we also need to expect lower investment returns that the fact that we tend to spend less as we age will be a bit of a saving grace? Um, yeah, you know, it, it is one of the upsides of the research that most of the news is terrible, frankly, for retirees in 2022, in a sense that 
Um, we're now experiencing higher expected inflation, uh, returns on investment portfolios are less, uh, people are living longer, you know, that's good news, but it means that they have to fund more years of spending in retirement. The only good news is that, generally speaking, spending does decline later on in retirement. One of the problems I see right now, and you talk about behavioral issues, a lot of people maybe retiring early in the baby boom generation because they get to a number. They you know, get to a million dollars of savings and they think, well, I have enough to retire at the age of 62 or 63. A million dollars today will not buy you the same income in retirement that it could buy you in the mid 1990s. And that's what's known as the dollar illusion. We have this idea uh, that once we reach that mountain, that pinnacle that we had, that, that goal, that threshold that we had set for ourselves, we're ready to retire. But frankly, um, you know, I, I, I work a lot in, in um, estimating the amount of income that you can generate from an investment portfolio. And, you know, there is what's known as this 4% rule, right? Uh, that, that we probably have to adjust that downward to account for the fact that uh, interest rates are so low and assets, financial assets are so expensive right now and people are living longer. Morningstar just came out with a study that said that maybe 2.7% or 3.2% is right. And if that's the case, then you're only gonna be able to generate $30,000 from a $1 million portfolio where maybe historically you were able to generate significantly more. And then if you're just taking money out of dividends and uh, interest, then, you know, Maybe you're getting a one and a half percent dividend payout rate from your stock investments, and uh, maybe your bonds are generating two percent or maybe a little bit more. But uh, again, that's that's you know maybe twenty thousand uh, dollars of income that you're generating from a million dollar portfolio, whereas historically you're able to generate maybe closer to sixty thousand dollars from an investment portfolio. And that's certainly the other thing that I hear from investors is that if I just invest in high dividend stocks. I can treat that as income. Well, that's that's not a realistic way to think about how to generate income because a dividend is really, I mean, it's 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 a stock investment, and and the dividend is just a way to pay investors back uh, from the profits that the company earns. And stocks are risky; stocks can go down in price, um, and that means that the dividend can go down. Um, so, you know, risk is real, and investors also need to take that into account when they're making decisions about how to allocate their money in retirement. If you invest in risky assets, even if it's a dividend paying stock, you have to be willing to be more flexible about how you spend money in retirement, because if you get unlucky, you're going to have to spend less in retirement. I think the bottom line is that investors can expect less from their investment portfolio in terms of lifestyle. Inflation is a source of risk that many of us hadn't thought much about, but it's reared its ugly head and we have to face that potential risk. And it's going to take more to be able to create the same lifestyle in retirement than it did in the past. So retirees have to have a more realistic expectation about how much lifestyle they can generate from their savings. Yeah, I think flexibility um, is is <laughs> definitely the word of the day. Uh, and you know, and ongoing monitoring and prudent planning. I mean, and I guess the other risk too that is out there, and who knows exactly to what extent. But you know, with most uh, people's money and most retirees' money being in these yet to be taxed accounts, and some of our budget deficits, you know, growing and being as high as they are. You know, if tax rates do go up, um, then you know, not only you know after inflation and uh, after taxes that that spending could 
be even less. Um, we'll see. Certainly don't want to make any predictions on what uh, what's going to happen, but uh, but all those things I, we definitely see as risks and certainly want to be um, proactive about. But you know, you can't predict the future. You, you kind of need to make your best guess and and plan for some different scenarios. But you know, it's an ongoing uh, aspect. It's an ing word. Now that you've kind of dealt us all this great news for <laughs> retirees and pre-retirees in 2022, uh, maybe we can finish up with two more bad things. Um, but uh, one of the things that I, I liked about your research that I've read over the years was um, about, I don't want to say I like, but I, I found it very thought-provoking, was about cognitive impairment as we age and, and even our confidence and our ability to make financial decisions as we age. Can you touch on that? And then uh, I figure maybe we can talk about RMD jail uh, to finish up. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did a big study um, about 10 years ago of financial literacy across 10,000 Americans. And what we found was that there was this really interesting decline in financial literacy scores as people started getting into their 70s and 80s and 90s. And um, in fact, when we matched that up with cognition scores, so we actually, we did our own study and then we went back to the health and retirement study and we looked at how cognition changed over time. We saw the exact same phenomenon going on. And so this is just, I mentioned before that this is just a natural part of aging, that we experience physical decline in old age. And part of that physical decline is our ability to retain new information, to process information quickly. Now, the one problem is, and this is very similar to driving, that we don't recognize when it happens so gradually, as it does in retirement, and it's only about one to 2% per year, the lower cognitive scores. So when it happens this gradually, we don't perceive it as happening. But if you've ever you know, been in a car with a relative who's 90 years old and you haven't driven with them in a, a long time and you get in the passenger seat, after a couple of blocks, you start realizing that you probably are in the wrong seat, that that uh, that person who is 90 years old is not driving with the same level of skill as they had when they were 75 years old or even 80 years old, but they don't recognize that it has happened. And in fact, there's research that shows that if older people are given unbiased objective information about the rate of decline in their capabilities. In other words, if they go to a driving simulator and they are shown that their driving skills, their ability to really react to a stimulus is not what it was 10 years ago, then they're actually going to make changes in how they drive. They're not gonna drive during rush hour. They're not gonna drive at night. You can do the same things with your finances. If you recognize that we are going to lose our ability to make financial decisions later in life, then we can make decisions when we're in our 60s to automate when we hit our 90s or find someone who's going to help us make financial decisions, who is going to look out for our best interest. Because our ability to manage an investment portfolio and decide how much we can safely spend every year in our 90s is not going to be the same as it was in our 60s and 70s. So part of the retirement planning process is accounting for this inevitable decline in our capabilities and then creating some sort of a system that minimizes that risk. Again, it's just like investment risk. It's the risk that our bad financial choices are going to impair our ability to maintain our goals in retirement, our lifestyle goals, or even our, our charitable or our bequest goals, because we've made investment mistakes uh, in our 80s and 90s that we otherwise wouldn't have made early on in retirement. You know, it's interesting what you, and I wasn't aware of the, um, 
the data were about driving and being presented with that evidence. Um, I'm aware of some technology uh, that has been in um, our profession developed more recently in conjunction with with different aging um, groups or, or, or what have you, um, where it's really just trying to get those measurements over time if, and, and actually have that evidence of, you know, whether there is cognitive impairment or what have you. And um, it's been a few years since I've spoken with um, that technology maker, but one of the things that they intimated was that it, men um, typically were a little bit more difficult to engage in that, um, maybe more of an ego or, or something of the sort where women were definitely more open you know, to doing that. I'm curious, have you ever encountered anything like that or have any updates to that? Well, you certainly don't see that with driving capabilities, do you? Um, <laughs> that older male drivers are are, <laughs> are happy to admit that their skill set is perhaps just diminishing. Um, yeah, it seems it's pretty, it seems pretty on brand. Uh, and again, it's a source of risk. And I think this this idea that people don't recognize it and this gap between our perception of our abilities and our actual abilities getting larger in our 80s and 90s, that gap is really a source of risk. Uh, and again, you know, the, the real strategy is at the beginning of retirement before that gap exists, how do we create, how do we tie ourselves to the mass? How do we create a plan that ensures that we're not going to be vulnerable? when we get into older age. Now, it's something like a third or close to a third of those over the age of 85 are experience, experiencing cognitive impairment or significant enough cognitive impairment that it makes it very difficult to even make basic financial decisions such as paying bills. And many of us don't want to admit that we're ever going to get to a point where something like paying bills is a challenge, but it happens, you know, and it's random. It's a source of risk and we've got to plan for it ahead of time. Otherwise we may end up making mistakes. No, that's great. Um, definitely good advice. And then uh, I guess in closing, I remember uh, when I first heard you speak um, uh, probably about 10 years ago now, and I had you uh, as a guest speaker at a study group that I was part of, which, um, by the way, you were, uh, I think, if not at the time, the, high, the highest, most rated speaker we had, certainly, you know, one of the, we're, we're definitely up there. But um, one of the things that struck, that stayed with me um, was the idea of this RMD jail. Um, so maybe we can close on a bit of a lighter note. What is RMD jail and how can maybe we use it, you know, for those ants or for those grasshoppers? Well, I mean, let's think about RMDs. I, I'm a big fan, by the way, of required minimum distributions. What is a required minimum distribution? Well, you put a lot of money in an IRA, you get this tax sheltering benefit, but it actually wants its money back. So it, it makes sure that you start pulling money out of it. Um, and that the amount of money is dependent on how old you are. Uh, they expect that you pay it back over the course of your expected lifetime and the kind of asset returns you get. Um, now, RMDs also have this major psychological feature. So uh, part of that psychological feature is that if you are an ant and you're not spending very much money in retirement, you, you get this check from your investment company. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I can spend this money. And so you actually see this in the spending data. So for ants, their spending goes up when they start receiving that RMD check. So all it is is the government forcing you to take money out of your IRA. Um, and so your, your investment company knows about it. They send you a check. Um, you don't have to spend it, but a lot of people do spend it because it's a check. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the same check they get from Social Security. They feel like they have a, a license to be able to spend that money. 
Now, if you're a grasshopper, then you also get a benefit because the grasshoppers are the ones who spend more before and after retirement. They're the ones who are most risk of running out of money. But for them, the RMD actually creates a reasonably efficient spending plan. Uh, that is based on your expected longevity. And if you follow that plan, then you're not going to be at risk of running out. And if you if you know somebody that is a grasshopper, uh, one of the things you can mention to them is that the government will only allow you to spend your required minimum distribution every year in retirement. Whereas, of course, you can spend the entire amount of your IRA anytime you want to, but you'll get taxed on it. And if you start framing it as the government says, this is the amount that you're able to spend, then even someone who has a tendency to overspend in retirement is now going to be on a plan that actually makes some sense. It's based on your investment amount and your expected longevity. And for them, it provides a good guideline, but just don't tell them that they can spend the whole thing. <laughs> They're going to go to jail. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's, um, uh, you know, I, I actually, I know a few people in the study group that I mentioned that uh, have used that with clients in certain situations. <laughs> so I think that's a nugget for sure. You know, the, the fact that, um, and I know you mentioned it, but to just to make it maybe um, a, a quick reminder, you know, the fact that our, uh, you know, our investment accounts, our IRA balances are moving over time. You know, your RMD is obviously going to change over time, both as a function of your life expect your remaining life expectancy and that account balance. So there, it kind of ties back to this whole idea of flexibility. You know, if the investment account goes down, for example, um, like it did particularly in say 2008 and, uh, you know, 2007, even, um, you know, you're spending less the next year. Um, if, you know, you have kind of the wind at your back, like really we have pretty much for the last more than 10 years, particularly in the US, you know, you're obviously kind of, you know, being able to spend a little bit more, but you have to go ahead and pull all this together and, and coordinate it in light of not only what we currently have that that money or that dollar illusion that Dr. Finka spoke about, but also these forward looking and uncertain expectations around interest rates, about longevity, about investment returns, you know, really flexibility. And I think planning uh, and really having a, you know, a good measurement of what somebody is spending and being able to measure that over time, making sure that we can focus on the things that we can control, um, like shorter term tax planning, particularly is a good thing. Uh, and then just really bringing this all together and integrating it. Um, I mean, it's, it's planning in a nut box, but, um, it's, it, it's great. And, and Dr. Fink, one, you've been great, um, and generous to share your time today. And I just say from a, an industry perspective, you know, when I was, was studying this and doing like my certified financial planner training, uh, back in the two thousands, um, you know, you just, I didn't particularly see any, any research about, you know, retirement satisfaction, about, you know, some of these, you know, very, very important aspects that you've been spending a lot of time, uh, and, and yielding a lot of great research and insights into. And I couldn't agree more that it's, it's not about how many dollars that you have or you die or you leave on your kids, but it's, it's about, you know, the experience that you have. It's about that satisfaction, which, you know, I think that's, what most people want. Certainly we don't want to die destitute and broke, but, um, but the other side of the coin too, where you have so much and you really haven't experienced much isn't exactly, you know, the best path either. So, you know, whether it's balance, whether it's about flexibility, whether it's about trying to be in the present while making sure that your future is okay. Um, you've done a tremendous, tremendous benefit, you know, for the industry, for people like myself and, uh, and the, 
clients that we help and serve every day. So a big, big uh, debt of gratitude. Thank you for sharing your time today and for everything that you've done. My pleasure, Kevin. It was great to be on the show. Walter Storholt jumping in once again here. Hope you enjoyed the conclusion of today's conversation with Dr. Michael Finca and Kevin Krosky. Uh, this will conclude the two-part series. And uh, boy, if you've got any questions, I know we covered a lot of ground on these last two episodes, but don't hesitate to reach out. You can always schedule a time to visit with Kevin and the True Wealth Design team by going to truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team. That's truewealthdesign.com. We'll also link to that in the show notes or the description of today's episode. And we'll also put the phone number there. It's 855-TWD-PLAN. You can also call and schedule that time to chat as well if you prefer. 855-TWD-PLAN is the number. For Kevin Krosky and Dr. Michael Finca, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time on the next edition of Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.